Mad Sports Radio. This is the Sports Sit-Down with Mike Demurgis. Mike Demurgis back here on the Iona College Radio Hour. And we're wrapping things up with the Sports Sit-Down. And, of course, we have the editor-in-chief of Baseball Digest, an adjunct professor in the sports communication and graduate program here at Iona College, Mr. Rick Cerrone. Uh, Rick, thank you so much for joining the Iona College Radio Hour here. Hi, Mike. Good to be with you, as always. Well, let's think, start things off with the news about Tom Seaver, Hall oh. of Fame pitcher, and it's announced that he has dementia. And just the timing of this 50 years after the Mets won that incredible World Series in 1969 against the Orioles. Well, it's just a, a very sad story. It's not really a surprise to me because I had been somewhat monitoring Tom through people I knew. Uh, I know there's been a, a documentary that is being done on him that uh, Ed Burns, the uh, the director, is uh, directing. Uh, the actor and director and Bill Madden is involved in that. I've so I've gotten the idea over the last couple of years that he was not doing well, uh, but it's really sad and it's sad for the, you know, not just Tom uh, who's still, thank God, still with us, but you know, so many people from that team uh, have passed. When you look at you know Don Clendenin and and Tommy Agee and Tug McGraw, and I, I, it's just it, it's hard to believe for me to believe that 50 years has gone by since that absolutely incredible moment or season in 1969. And talk about Tom Seaver. I mean, he won three Cy Young Awards during his span, five 20-win seasons. And you're talking about a time when guys like when Juan Marichal, Steve Carlton, and Bob Gibson were in the National League. You know, it's funny, um, when you see people from other eras you and you watch highlights of them, you only see the things that they did well. You know, you didn't see the seven times that they made an out or whatever. But I've got to tell you, Mike, I can honestly look back and never, I really never remember seeing Tom Seaver get knocked around or pitch a bad game. I know it happened, and I, I know I heard Art Shamsky uh, do a, a radio interview this week, and, and that's what he was saying, that you know he always kept you in the game. He never, you know, five runs in the first, and he's out of there in the second or third. Again, I'm sure it's going to happen. Don't everybody go looking at the record books. But, uh, you know, he was such a competitor, and he, and he was in, a, in an era of, of great pitchers. Uh, you know, and then remember – because of you know guys like Seaver and and more so Gibson McLean, they lowered they lowered the mound. Um, you know it was the 1969 was the year of the pitcher. Or 1968 was the the year of the pitcher, and then they they lowered the mound. And we're talking with Rick Cerrone, the editor in chief of Baseball Digest, and you're doing your spring training tour. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes here. Also, adjunct professor in the sports communication and media graduate program here at Iona College. Uh, and Tom Seaver, the the big trade, of course, that shocked New York, shocked the baseball world. Uh, could you imagine if we had the internet back on June fifteenth, nineteen seventy seven? It was known as the Midnight Massacre. Pat Zachary traded from the Reds, Steve Henderson, Doug Flynn, Dan Norman to the New York Mets for the great Tom Seaver, and that really shocked the baseball world and Mets fans of course I don't think they've gotten over that till this day well certainly Mets fans haven't and you know and again you know what was it six years later they made another or more than six years later they made another tremendous maybe even worse faux pas when in back in the day if you if you lost a free agent you there was a draft and you know teams had to protect a certain amount of players and I guess going into the 83 season, I want to say, uh, maybe 84, um, the Mets did not protect Tom Seaver, thinking the White Sox, who had the draft pick, 
um, would not select someone making that money and at that age, but they sure did. And the Mets uh, lost Seaver. I remember uh, they had a press conference in the Diamond Club with Tom Seaver after they lost him. And, uh, man, you talk about bad things happening two times, but that was really inexcusable. Uh, and then, of course, Seaver went on to win his 300th game, would have been with the Mets, but no, it was with the Chicago White Sox. So, And again, you go back to 1977 and what big news it was. It was such a different era. And I, and I, you know, I guess being the age I am now, I, I, I prefer it when, you know, everybody weighs in now. You know, it's like, you know, you had to get the daily news. You had to listen to, you know, Art Rust on the radio at night. Now it's just look at your phone. It's a very different world now, and uh, that. But that was a really difficult time for the Mets. Uh, his relationship with the owner, M. Donald Grant, had deteriorated to the point where, you know, they just basically. I, I didn't think it was a horrible trade for the Mets at the time because of the talent they got back. A lot of those young guys, Steve Henderson and Dan Norman, were Doug Flynn, were highly touted players, and some of them, you know, had pretty good careers. But what a terrible thing for the Mets to to do it twice that's the that's the real thing that people forget they lost them twice yeah and if he was stuck with them in 83 84 and 85 through that he would have been really the mentor of those young pitchers uh, yeah. Ron Darling Dwight Gooden coming up and and who knows he might have had another chance at a World Series in 86 if he was able to stay around and ironically too he gets his 300 win as a member of the White Sox at Yankee Stadium, too, as well. I was there with Commissioner Peter Uberoff. Uh We went to the game, I guess, because it was going to be Seaver's 300th game. And I will tell you something that nobody really knows, that he was then the cover the following day uh, of Sports Illustrated. But the cover got scrapped because uh, the NFL, I guess the NFL went on strike or something like that. But there is a... a, a you know, there are images of the Sports Illustrated cover because I have one. Wow. And I have it signed by Tom Seaver. Oh, my so. goodness. <laughs> you got Seaver something that doesn't his, exist. Seaver winning his 300th game. Uh, I also want to say, and maybe I'm wrong, that that was, that was Phil Rizzuto Day. I, I don't know why I, I equate the two. It was obviously 30. You know what? I think, I, th- I think you're right about that. And I remember I- being down there with Commissioner Uberoth and watching Phil Rizzuto get knocked over by, by the cow. <laughs> and the funny thing is, Tom Seaver and Phil Rizzuto were teamed up as broadcasting right. mates, and they it was it, it was an odd pair. You they know, Phil were. Rizzuto in New York and Tom Seaver, a guy from Southern right. California, that's and, and exactly there was right. there was great chemistry between yeah, the two. And I remember exactly Rizzuto, right. Rizzuto oh know, Seaver. And one thing I remember, you know, and I'm so grateful for that. My first year with the Yankees as their director of media relations. It was actually Rizzuto's last year as a broadcaster. So I, I got to enjoy Phil being around, <laughs> you know, popping his head in my office because my office was right behind the broadcast booth, and he'd walk through the offices, and he'd, you know, he'd go, hey, Sarone, you know, with the, <laughs> you know, and the whole, but he was, what, what a, what a great character and a great person Phil Rizzuto was. And Rizzuto gained some fame to a new generation of fans with with Seinfeld because he was uh, you know, not, right. He wasn't featured, well, but they talked about him on on an episode of Seinfeld as well. Well, yeah, he did he did the play by play of uh, in the background. But and this morning, as I was in my car. 
running a few errands. I heard Phil Rizzuto on uh, Paradise uh, by the Dashboard Light. The Meatloaf song. The Meatloaf song. And (laughs) Phil claims that he didn't. He was appalled when he found out. (laughs) And I'm like, Phil, what did you think you were doing? (laughs) When you see rounds third, it looks like he's going to make it. A play at the plate. He's going to make it. It's funny that a couple of years ago at a, at a, a company outing, um, we, there was we did karaoke, and the song that me and a, a young lady that worked there got was "Paradise by the Dashboard Light," and I, you know, I I just kind of, you know, I don't walk through the thing, and then but people were really surprised when it when it got to that the moment that Phil jumps in with the play by play. I picked it up and didn't miss a beat. So. Holy cow, I think he's going to make it. <laughs> okay, we got a real pressure cooker going here. <laughs> That's great. Uh, talking about a, a guy that was featured on Seinfeld, uh, your former boss for the New York right. Yankees as your PR director starting in 1996, uh, George Steinbrenner, and I've had conversations with the younger generation. If George Steinbrenner was in his heyday today, right. would he have signed Bryce Harper? Well, things have changed since you know, when Mr. Steinbrenner was, when the Yankees were supposedly signing everybody, um, because, you know, now you've got the luxury tax. Um, I don't know if he would have made a decision that we're not going to exceed the luxury tax. I don't know if he would want to, as he would think, continue to finance other ball clubs. But I, I do think things would be much different if he was in his heyday. You know, but his heyday was a long time ago. I mean, you know, he kind of stopped being the boss, so to speak, probably 16 years ago. I kind of look at the the last year of, of, of George, the boss is like 2003. It's, it's a new era now. So, you know, bottom line is, you know, the boss isn't here anymore, and uh, and they they have to operate the way they see they see fit. Look, they're trying to win, but look, they now they also have a stadium to pay for. You know, people forget that they built that stadium. You know, they they're getting the bills every month, every year, whatever. They own the consent. They they have a lot of expenses, so things are a lot different now than they were when George Steinbrenner, you know, owned the Yankees. But I will say, and I'll say this for your listeners. Think back, 1973, January, um, George Steinbrenner leads a group that buys the New York Yankees for $10 million. Unbelievable. How, but, how, but here's how good that deal was. He then sold the parking around Yankee Stadium back to the city of New York for $2 million. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So the net cost of buying the Yankees, the New York Yankees, was $8 million. Of that, less than $170,000 was George Steinbrenner's money. Well, I think that's the amazing part of it. He really didn't use his own money. And right. when, when you look today at the, the value of the Yes Network now, right. and that was really George's idea because at the time games were broadcast on right. MSG. Yep. And he said, well, why aren't we broadcasting our own games? You know, That was one of George's last uh, impacts he had with the team was really the creation of the Yes Network, correct? And you were there for the start of it. I, I was, and I was also there when it was not on in New York on Cablevision for the first year and then in spring training uh, you know, it, it, he he had me. What happened was, there was supposed to be an interview with with the president of the Yes Network on Mike and the Mad Dog, and then he it got canceled. And we're watching it, and Mike and the Mad Dog are ripping the boss for, you know, being behind this 
the cancellation of this interview. So I called up Mike and the Mad Dog, and, you know, and I got the producer, Chris Carlin, and I said, hey, we're sitting here, the boss is sitting here watching, waiting for this interview to start. He's got nothing to do with this. So, you know, they came back on and they apologized and whatever, and then the boss says, you're not going anywhere until this is resolved. You're staying right here. So the next thing I know, he's got me on this conference call, it's me and him sitting in a, in a conference room on this call with all these, you know, highfalutin people. And he, he says, what do you think, Rick? And everybody on the call goes, wait a minute, who's Rick? And I'm like, <laughs> what the heck is he doing there? I'm like, I don't want to be here. I'm sorry. So he was not going to send me on the road with the, uh, with the ball club to Toronto. We opened the season in Toronto with Matt Suey, right? Yep, um, I remember that. You know, and, you know, we had we – had, 50 more members of the media was a big deal. And he says, you're staying right here. You send your assistant to. And it just so happened that the morning we were supposed to leave for Toronto was the last game of the season. He runs into me. He goes, how do we look? You know, he always, how do we look? Everything good with the team? I said, no, not at all. No, I'm, I'm really concerned. He says, what are you talking about? I said, well, how would you feel if uh, I told you that Clemens wasn't making the trip? Wow. And he said, what are you talking about Clemens is making the trip? He's got to make the trip. He's just I said, well, he's making the trip, but I'm the Roger Clemens of your PR staff. <laughs> and you're making me sit here with you doing what in Tampa? I said, we've got the Japanese you know, media, you know, we, we got a whole new thing, we, and, and you're keeping me here in Tampa? And he says, get out of my sight. You know, just, just go. Just please. I, I mean, we could go on and on about George and we will uh, at, a, at a later date. And we're talking with Rick Cerrone, former Yankees PR director. Now the editor-in-chief of Baseball Digest, adjunct professor here at Iona College in the graduate program in sports communication and media. And Rick, I've seen the pictures online and on Facebook and, and whatnot. And boy, you're, you're making quite the impact uh, with Baseball Digest again this spring. Talk, talk about your tour. Well, I hope so. Well, I'm, I'm actually making the tour with both Baseball Digest and for my PR client, the Taylor Hooten Foundation, because they educate young people about the dangers of PEDs, and we've put together an advisory board of a player from every major league team, and we have presentations to them of their public service ads that we make for them and send to the teams for their programs. Like uh, in the Yankee Spring Training Program and their magazine, Yankees Magazine, the Brett Gardner PSA is on page 34. So we made a nice, beautiful canvas print, and on Sunday, uh, March the 3rd, we presented it on the field to Brett Gardner, and we did Matt Carpenter and Anthony Rendon and Jamison Tyon and, and, and Nick Marcakis. Um, and now we're going to, uh, to uh, Arizona to do the same thing with our, our Arizona players. Meanwhile, I will also be presenting the Rookie of the Year Awards for Baseball Digest. I did uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. before a Braves game at, at Disney. And on uh, Wednesday, the 13th, I will be presenting Shohei Otani with his American League Rookie of the Year for Baseball Digest. So it's kind of a mixed bag with both, with both organizations, but it's a very uh, uh, enjoyable and, uh, you know, obviously a packed couple of weekends in, in Arizona. And looking at the teams this year, uh, of course, the Red Sox winning the World Series, the Dodgers right. representing the National League again, back-to-back right. years. Uh, should we expect the same teams to make a, a push to the playoffs this year? Well, you think things might change? It's interesting, Mike, that the, the people that we have doing our 
our, our division previews, which are the people, uh, the, the people that do the division previews, and you know, one for each team. The writers they seem to think that the, the most teams will repeat. Um, I know we have got the Dodgers, um, Bruce Levine, and Joel Beard in Chicago picked the Cubs, who did not win the division. Uh, in the East, they picked the Braves. Uh, the American League, the Red Sox, the Indians, the Astros. Um, I'm not so sure that all those teams are going to repeat because I just haven't seen that they've really gone out and improved themselves as much as the teams behind them have. I mean, if you look at the Yankees and the Red Sox, yeah, sure, the Yankees have eight games to make up, but I don't think the Red Sox are nearly as strong a team as they were last year going into the season. And again, like with the Yankees, like Lou Pinella once said about the Yankees, let me see what their team looks like on August 1st because they're going to do what's necessary. The Red Sox may do the same thing. Last year they added J.D. Martinez, but they lost Kimbrell in the bullpen, um, and they haven't replaced him. Um, so I'm not so sure it will be as cut and dry as it is, uh, uh, as it looks, or as our writers think it is. But but I'm going to let them, I'm not going to step in and tell them, you know, they shouldn't uh, pick this team or that team. And the other thing i got to be honest with is there's no way we could have, with our deadline, we could have gotten Bryce Harper and uh, and Manny Machado on their proper teams. And I would think at least in the uh, the NL East, he's going to have an impact. You know, we picked the Phillies fourth. You know, are the Phillies going to finish fourth with Bryce Harper? Probably not. Uh, let's talk about your your former team that you're the PR director from from 1996 to 2007, the New York Yankees. Uh, tough news about Luis Severino. Uh, they're looking at him. He's not going to be pitching on opening day. Uh, a, do you think this? Is, are you hearing this is worse than than it appears? And B, do you think this forces them to make a move for Dallas Keuchel? Well, I don't. I don't hear anything beyond what everybody else is seeing uh, about Severino. But you know, you start with CC, and then you get Severino, and you know, the, this is what can derail the Yankees, and it would have to be pretty significant. But sometimes those things happen. You just get into those years, like the Mets had a couple of years ago, where just injuries just decimate you. Um, you know, Brian Cashman was was very. Uh, honest with some people that I had with me on Sunday who asked him about getting another starter. Uh, and this was before the Severino news. He said, "This, hey, this is our team. You know, it was like Gene Ackman and Oozers. This is your team. Um, I can't put anything past the Yankees. I mean, whether it's Gio Gonzalez or Dallas Keuchel, um, they're trying to do everything they can to put the best possible team on the field. Although now they're doing it within somewhat of a budget. So it would not surprise me if they did. It wouldn't surprise me if they didn't. But, you know, I don't think they can withstand too much more of these little these injuries, especially if they go on for some time. He is Rick Cerrone, the editor-in-chief of Baseball Digest. And if you want to pick up a copy, order a copy, just Google uh, Baseball Digest, and you can have it sent to you. You also have the option of having both it sent to you, the hard copy, and the online edition as well. And, Rick, you're doing a great job. I know uh, the buzz around baseball, they're excited to have it back and, and up and running. And 
uh, you know, hopefully this thing has legs and let's 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 keep it alive because Baseball Digest. I remember as as a teenager and a kid, a teenager getting getting that Baseball Digest, and now it's a little different. It's packaged differently than it used to be. Correct? Yeah, it's a full size, full color magazine that now comes out uh, six times a year. And if you're interested, go to BaseballDigest.com. It'll tell you all about it. You can subscribe there. And, you know, one last thing that you mentioned, Mike, about Tom Seaver. Tom Seaver was our very first player of the year, and that was 50 years ago. So this year, uh, 2019, will be the 50th anniversary player of the year for Baseball Digest. We're looking forward to that. Rick, thank you so much. Thanks, Mike.